Welcome to the Liminots Podcast. Interviews with individuals testing the liminal spaces between disciplines, perspectives, and practices, with a focus on Buddhism, spirituality, science, philosophy, and wellness from a left perspective. I'm your host, Ben Haas. My guest today is Kurt Steinmetz, aka Zen Master Chong Saido. Kurt is a Zen Master who received transmission from Zen Master Daegak at the Furnace Mountain Zen Center in Kentucky in 2020. He is based in Rockville, Maryland, and is responsible for starting three different Zen groups, the Indianapolis Zen Center, the All Being Zen Sangha in Washington, D.C., and Daidosa in Rockville, Maryland, which is part of the Furnace Mountain Sangha. I'll be talking to Kurt about being a DSA member and the role of activism within Zen practice and Buddhism in general, and whether Buddhism is a non-violent religion. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kurt. So good morning. Thanks for doing this. It's great to be here, Ben. I've uh, known you uh, for at least at least we first met um, in basically total silence with a little bit little bit of chatting yeah. in, in mm-hmm. the beginning and the end um, back in '96, and mm-hmm. uh, when we were on our 90 day uh, Kyolche retreat in Korea with his master Daegak, uh, ne uh, Robert Kentner. And uh, it's almost 30 years later, and now you're a Zen master. So um, so what's it like being a Zen master, Kurt? Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's okay. <laughs> it's, so there, there is a certain amount of responsibility that's um, involved with it. And, uh, but, uh, yeah. It's it's pretty much the same as not being a Zen master. I have to, I have to say. Well, um, you whatever know, so that's what, like. You know, what's it like to not be a Zen master? I can throw the question back to you, Ben. But you know, uh, you already understand. So, um, well, you know, so what's what's the criteria in the in the Furnace Mountain School? So we we yeah. both of us uh, right. have a lot of experience, or at least. And my main thing was the quantum Zen school, the, the, right. of, uh, Zen master Sung San. And mm-hmm. um, that has its own kind of, uh, you know, first, first you take precepts, then you become a, a right. Dharma teacher, which is basically, you know, you just like, you know, you're, you lead stuff mm-hmm. in, 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 during um, basically day to day Zen stuff. And you can teach people meditation, but you don't really, you aren't really like a teacher. It's not like a certification that you've attained anything. Um, and then they have the Jita Pope's name, which, uh, or Jita Pope's, which is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you've, you've, you've attained something, but you're not independent. You're still underneath the main mm-hmm. teacher. And then, and then, um, uh, you receive, uh, your permission to teach. So Jita Pope's, I guess, have Inca or transmission and then, uh, it goes on. So how does it, how did it work, uh, with, uh, Zen Master Degak? Well, so with, with Zen Master Degak, he's only given transmission to, um, Three people that I that I know of: um, mm-hmm. Zen Master Sen Shin in uh, Australia, um, Zen Master Muhan Shim, 
uh, at Furnace Fountain and then uh, myself. Um, but so Zen Master Degak's uh, style is is very much um, uh, a spinoff, you could say, of um, Zen Master uh, Sung So that's kind of a starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anything, it's it's uh, less formalized, less institutionalized, um, but still in the same uh, spirit, mm-hmm. I would say. And of course, you know, there's nothing special about what Sung San does or what Zen Master Daegak does. I mean, this is all part of the, the Zen tradition going back to Bodhidharma. And, and this whole transmission business has always been a little screwy, actually, because, I mean, people who've, who've read a little bit uh, of Zen history will be, will be familiar with the fact that Bodhidharma actually gave transmission to four, at least four people, one of whom was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we only talk about one of them. <laughs> and, and and for the first six generations of Zen in China, uh, there's only this main line of transmission that's that's even u- usually that's even mentioned, um, right? Uh, to, and and sometimes it's denied, right? denied right. out of ignorance, um, or or more often just by omission. But sometimes it's said that there were only these uh, six, whereas in fact it was already branching off uh, from the beginning, um, and so. It, you know there there is a uh, an obligation that's felt i think from generation to generation to keep the traditions alive um and therefore teachers have a responsibility to um uh to to designate people who are going to be responsible for that when they're gone mm-hmm. um, who who should be looked to who is responsible who it's being handed off to um and you know i think there's little or nothing more to it than that you know and and in theory it goes back to shakyamuni buddha um shakyamuni buddha in in the zen tradition and only in the zen tradition uh is it uh said that shakyamuni buddha gave this transmission uh to uh mahakasyapa uh but it turns out that raising the flower and all that yeah 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 the the um the inside joke uh story where no one else got it um and um but isn't that kind of zen in general though and kind of an inside <laughs> nobody else yeah, well, you know um and, and and there's a there's a good sense to that and, and a not so good sense to that um but that's another that we can talk about that a little bit more but i, I just want to say another thing about makashapa that it turns out that um it's it's generally recognized um that makashapa was the head of the sangha after um shakyamuni buddha uh, oh died mm-hmm. um and it's it's actually even outside of zen it's it's often uh, recognized that the buddha gave his rope uh to mahakashapa mm-hmm. um, which in zen is very symbolic um uh and and so there zen makes a bigger deal about this mm-hmm. uh, because uh, zen wants to uh, trace our um, lineage back to shakyamuni buddha which i think is is appropriate and and correct um but uh what am i trying to say oh just that we do get a little weird about the whole transmission thing you know in pure land buddhism um they also have these great 
elders, sometimes referred to, in my opinion, mistakenly as patriarchs. Um, right. I think it's much, much more accurate to translate that as ancestor, which is right. actually, in, 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 actually in the Chinese, right? That's actually, right. I mean, yeah. And in Chinese Pure Land Buddhism, they also have ancestors, but in their lists of ancestors, it often turns out that there's hundreds of years separating the death of one ancestor and the birth mm -hmm. of the next one. So it's obviously not a uh, this kind of mind-to-mind -mind or, or, or direct one person to another. Sometimes it's called warm hand to warm hand transmission. And the Pure Land people just say, well, you know, our ancestors are the people who, who understood and preserved and, and, and gave us this tradition, you know, so it's very simple, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're the people that we look to. Um, and so I, I think that should be the, the case with in Zen as well. Whatever kind of rigmarole a person goes through, it's, uh, it's to give us people who are entrusted with, um, keeping the tradition going. And in, in reality, everybody who practices Zen uh, is who's keeping the tradition going. You know, a teacher sitting there with nobody um, being taught uh, is, well, there's stories about that. One of my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, uh, isn't that just, a, that's just a hermit. That's just a hermit, right? It could be a hermit or it could be like the great master Dao Sheng, who was not a Zen uh, a teacher because he lived before. Uh, Zen came to China, but he would teach mm -hmm. the rocks and the trees. Uh -huh. um, uh, and and he, he taught the rocks and the trees because he had been expelled uh, from the uh, Sangha and had been uh, uh, forbidden to teach because he taught universal Buddha nature at a time when the, the, the hierarchy of, of the Buddhist church, as it was in China at the time, didn't accept the idea of universal Buddha nature. So they, they labeled him as a heretic and, and expelled him. And so he said, fine. And he went out into the forest and just talked, taught the rocks and the trees about Buddha nature until the, the rest of the Buddhists changed their mind and realized that he had been right. <laughs> and then he came back and went back to teaching humans again. <laughs> so you could, you could be like Dao Sheng, um, without any human students, but I don't, I don't claim to be able to, um, uh, communicate with rocks and trees. So I try to stick to humans. I mean, do you think part of the, uh, emphasis on this mind to mind transmission, uh, is really, uh, goes, you know, or either come, comes out of, or is a, a justification for some of the, um, the tendency of teachers to, uh, you know, act in what could be seen as crazy ways outside of, you know, um, kind of what if you were, you know, more Theravadan standards of propriety, mm -hmm. et cetera, like, you know, cutting off students' fingers and hitting mm -hmm. them and right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Traditionally. Yeah. Shouting and hitting. Uh, basically, what you're talking about is the whole shouting and hitting thing. And yeah. and d in in my opinion, um, because you, you know, want to make sure that the person who is shouting at you or hitting you is like, you know, gotten something. From yeah. the teacher, and, that they're just not, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, taking it upon themselves to, you know, uh, you know, right. just 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 indulge in their uh, fantasies of uh, mas mm -hmm. uh, sadomasochism, right? And so I, I think that there's a, a broader issue here, and that is, um, you know, uh, practicing what you preach. I mean, so a teacher's teaching and their actions should be, um, uh, should be one. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and at the same time, I think that what a teacher teaches to others, you know, so what that means really, if, if, it, if the teaching and the, and the actions of the teacher are the same, then the, uh, then the teacher shouldn't be encouraging 
shouldn't be engaging in any activities that he isn't or she isn't or they aren't um, encouraging their students to engage in. So it shouldn't be do as I say, not as I do. I don't I don't believe in that. Now, there, I, I think that these stories that people tell about uh, 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 people getting their fingers cut off or teachers who are shouting and hitting. Uh, these I mean, they're cap- important stories. They're koans, you know. They, you know, and but they are also um, uh, so. <laughs> Thich Nhat Han has a has a book about this, although he's not talking specifically. He's, he's kind of by implication talking about it, but. Um, uh, the book is called, I can't remember the exact title now, but it's the correct way to get hold of a snake, you know, and he's, he says it's important to, to recognize the danger that there can be in, in uh, Buddhist teaching or any teaching. Um, and that if you grab the snake the wrong way, then it's, you're in big trouble. Um, and so, uh, uh, it, and it isn't just, it isn't just stories about, um, shouting and hitting um you know even teachings on compassion if you if you grab it the wrong way Mm -hmm. um uh then you can get it all wrong um and so it's always important to be very careful and so people should be and 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 if you should be careful with all teachings then you should be especially careful with teachings that seem to be a little out of step with what we normally think of as mm-hmm. an ethical or compassionate behavior. Um, you should be especially careful with those. Where, but it, I think, in fact, a lot of times people are less careful with those stories because they, they embrace the, the, what the perceived recklessness or, or, or wildness of it um, without really looking at, you know, the fact that there's always some very, uh, close relationship between the people who are involved in these stories. And without that relationship, um, then it doesn't work, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, with, within the context of a, of a very close intimate relationship, um, uh, you know, you, you, you know, that, that provides a context, you know, um, and without that context is so there's no, uh, there's no general, uh, Shouting and hitting by themselves, cutting people's fingers off by themselves, do not constitute some Zen sort of behavior. Right. Um, in and of themselves, they constitute bad behavior, uh, bad speech, bad actions, harmful speech, harmful actions, mm-hmm. uh, which should always be avoided. Um, you know, of course, except for when, you know, Zen Master Sung San taught, you know, if your mind is very clear, then just go straight. Um, and, uh, and he taught, he taught us that when we did Kyolche together, he said, mm-hmm. you know, during Kyolche, there are many, many rules. Uh, but what if the building is on fire? Should I maintain silence? He said, if, if, if your mind is very clear, just go straight. But when your mind is not clear, follow the precepts. So, you know, any action that, uh, that doesn't follow the precepts, um, uh, you know, should be avoided. Uh, and then, of course, unless the building is on fire, unless your mind is very clear, and I don't, I don't claim you know any great level of realization. Um, I, I pretty much try to, um, you know, act in a way that is you know ethical, in a fairly conventional sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think, and I think that's what people should do, whether they're teachers or not. Um, and I, I mean, teacher yeah. should act. A teacher should act in a way that everyone should act. Um, if, if a teacher has anything to teach, it should be through how they, how they live, you know, not that I hold my own life up as, as an example, but, um, certainly, um, I, I think that that's, that's, is the most important thing that a teacher can do is to set an example. 
Um, well, you know, I think talking about this is good because uh, this, I know certainly most people when they get really uh, into Zen, it's oftentimes this kind of outrageous stories that uh, especially, you know, to, to mm-hmm. Westerners or maybe it's, it's, it's mostly Americans, but mm-hmm. um, you know, the sort of rebelliousness, the non sanctimoniousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. uh, I think that even more now um, the sort of spectacular nature uh, of that and attaching to that spectacular nature. Uh, you know, if, if you think about uh you know, social media and that sort of thing. I mean, that's, um, you know, the, the spectacularness is, is, is how we form, um, our attachment. It's not like the everyday. I mean, you know, the thing is the thing of like Kilche, like, mm-hmm. you know, 98% of it is just having a sore back and knees and feeling really <laughs> sleepy, you know? And wanting uh, to get out, wanting to get out. Yeah. That was yeah. a big deal for me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but, you know, we, we go for that maybe like 2% where, uh, you know, something feels different than it did before, or, um, you know, you feel instead of feeling just uncomfortable all the time and tired all the time, um, you have some kind of, uh, contradictory or paradoxical feeling of, yeah. well, actually everything is, is, is not only just fine, but, mm-hmm. um, about as good as it could ever be. And, um, and, and, uh, a feeling of, of not even non-attachment to that moment itself, which is kind of what makes it good. Um, and, uh, I kind of think about sort of, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was, uh, you know, just, um, uh, you know, we're Facebook friends and, uh, <laughs> often see you posting from, uh, you know, things from like, uh, from, from Jacobin or from, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> yep. the Instagram, um, uh, working people's history, I think it's called. Um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and so, you know, it's in, you know, Buddhism is, is, is very upper middle class, uh, mm-hmm. in, in America. It seems to be, you know, if it's not just boiled down into, uh, mindfulness as a, you know, uh, a, a technique to help you grind and, uh, be more productive and, or keep your cool while you're, you know, trying to, uh, maximize returns on, on your time and investment in, uh, capitalist economy, um, <laughs> is, uh, you know, a, a pastime of people who have means for the most part, you know, um, there are exceptions, uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially in, in, um, Pure Land, things like Soka Gakkai um, and uh, Nishiren Buddhism, where um, you tend to get a bit more diversity, um, in, in at least in terms of uh, not just either um, uh, Asian or Asian Americans or uh, you know AAPI folks um, or uh, um, you know um, middle upper middle class white folks, but you also get um, you know African Americans and. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of, you know, say Tina Turner. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but generally, uh, it tends to be sort of this um, uh, preoccupation of, of, of the middle class. And that goes along with sort of, uh, you know, very, um, you know, uh, milk toast kind of liberal uh, um, sentiments. Uh, but, you know, people basically still 
believing in the system and, you know, maybe they, they, they vote and they, and they give some money, but, um, you know, Zen seems to be one way of, of, of coping or Buddhism seems to be a way of coping with the world as it is. Um, and the question is, you know, should be, we be more involved in, um, you know, with, uh, trying to change the world as it is. And that's like, you know, a, a leftist, mm-hmm. um, you know, provocation is that, you know, that's the, the way things are, 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 are sending us towards doom. And, and mm-hmm. um, so having a more revolutionary spirit uh, and, and, and thinking about things in terms of upending our comfort collectively, those of us who are, who are comfortable and uh, forming, alliances with people who are not comfortable uh, would be the way to change things. And um, the discourse though, on the left, if you, if you're online at all, if you're, you know, on Twitter or, or, you know, listen to podcasts or whatever, tends to be very, you know, focused on the spectacular. Um, And, uh, and so I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a, um, we, we tend to focus on those things, but um, in terms of, you know, understanding how, you know, either, you know, your, your own transformation or transformation of society uh, happens. It's, it's a lot of little things in a practice of, of, of a, a lot of little things mm-hmm. over and over and over again without really any prospect for, for things to change. Um, what's your perspective on where, um, where your Zen practice and where uh, your politics mm-hmm. uh meet and how they inform each other. And, you know, what, what do you think of the state of, um, you know, uh, what, what Zen and and Buddhism are accomplishing for us? Like, why, why are we even doing this? I guess is the question, you know, (laughs) given everything that's going on, like, is this, Mm -hmm. is this a good use of our time? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I think that, uh, people, People should be involved in political or social activism, you know, to the extent that that's a genuine concern or, mm-hmm. or, or something that's, that spontaneously, you know, arises in them. Um, especially in, in the age of social media, people have a tremendous amount of exposure if they're on social media at all to, um, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, one line or two line, you know, sloganeering and, uh, 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 you know, just kind of shouting out different uh, political perspectives or social ideas or, or whatever. Um, but actual activism is, is quite different from that. Um, and, uh, but what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I don't think certainly not as a Zen teacher or, or as a, just as a Zen student that, um, I'm interested in, in promoting a particular Zen or Buddhist approach to uh, politics. Uh, in the first place, I think Buddhism is, is, is such a tiny uh, minority of people in the West that the idea that we have any, you know, influence is, is pretty ridiculous. Every time I see an open letter uh, from, you know, leading Buddhists about something, I think, you know, well, there's a waste of time. I mean, you mm-hmm. want to talk about you want to talk about a waste of time. I mean, who cares? Right. Uh, who cares what you know? Uh, uh, 
you know, a, a, a tiny minority, a religious minority, and 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 also, uh, who are these people to claim to speak in the name of Buddhism or or anything? You know, people can speak for themselves, and th- and I think that that's important for people to. Um, I mean, it, it's it's vitally important for people to have things in their lives that they care deeply about, and 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 if you care deeply about something, you need to. Uh, pursue that, um, and I certainly think that uh, a practice like Zen uh, helps with that. A practice like Zen is, is good at at concentrating and focusing our, our minds and and uh, and forcing us to look at our lives. You know, if you look at your life and you see how much of it is wasted, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then if you and if you look into your your heart and see what you care deeply about and see how little you do about it um then uh that uh, that that's more important that experience of seeing that clearly for yourself and not looking at someone else and judging them but but of seeing uh uh what it is how we actually spend our time and energy and what it is that really is meaningful uh uh, to us and seeing the the, often the, the the great disconnect between those two uh, and then finding what arises from that genuine experience is, is more important than, you know, like, you know, I'm a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. You know, okay, so big deal. You know, um, uh, I don't I, I don't really uh, participate in any of their activities, which mostly consists of calling people on the phone or going door to door and doing stuff that I'm not really that. Well, I, 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 I too, am a, <laughs> am, a pa- am a paper member. So, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, mea culpa, you know, there's lots of us out there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, one of the reasons why I, I finally joined was because you know I thought it was cool that that there were so many people uh, in the United States who who now self-identify as socialists mm-hmm. and are even willing to go to the to to that extent of mm-hmm. at least joining, putting their name down uh, as being a member, and which I think is a good thing, you know. But I don't think that there is a uh, a, a Buddhist or a Zen uh, answer to that, um, and and I. You know, I mean, people, sometimes a little compartmentalization is not such a bad thing because there are Buddhists who are conservative. Okay. There are Buddhists who are milk toast liberals, like you just said. Uh, there are not that many Buddhists who are, who are like, you know, um, uh, who want to see, you know, uh, uh, however you want to put it, you the know, downfall of capitalism, the downfall of capitalism, the workers <laughs> take power, whatever yeah. you know. I mean, the, 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 the dictatorship of the proletariat. You don't yeah, really see sure. that being posted, uh, you know, yeah. and, on, and so on, on Zen forums. But but there is there is a, a, an important issue here um, that I don't. I'm not going to try to give a definitive answer to, but it's something that people really do need to look at. And that has been around for a long time. It's been an issue in the socialist movement. And it's also been a a perennial issue among Buddhists, especially in modern times. Mm -hmm. And that is what's the balance between working on ourselves and trying to change the society around us. Um, And, you know, Lenin, speaking of the dictatorship of the proletariat, on the eve of the October Revolution, um, there was a debate among socialists in in uh, Russia, many of whom said, "Your Russian society isn't ready for a socialist mm-hmm. revolution." And Lenin, who was on the <clears throat> other side, said, "We must make a revolution with people as they are now." Okay, <coughs> that was his perspective. 
We don't, we don't, because there were those who said, no, we must educate and organize and, 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 and raise the consciousness of the working classes and the peasantry so that they are ready to take power. Um, and Lenin said, no, we must, uh, 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 move forward with people as they are now, you know, so, and that, that, that's just another way of saying enough working on ourselves, you know, let's mm-hmm. change things. Um, and that didn't turn out very well. I mean, it's, right. and, I, and, I, and, Mark, and Marx, you know, I mean, Marx, <laughs> Marx said, you know, it's like, you can't go from a, a peasant well, economy right. straight uh-huh. into, uh, you know, turn it, turn it into communism because you need to basically go through, um, you know, capitalism first, you know, and which allows for <laughs> right. the industrial development and the mass education, all this yeah. sort of stuff that, that happens. And then, and then that, that basically that creates the, the class consciousness and the, and the, and the, the infrastructure to, mm-hmm. uh, eventually have people be doing less work. I mean, the idea is you're uh-huh. trying to get people out of suffering, right? It's yeah. whatever the vehicle that does uh-huh. that, that's, that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, looking back on that era and, and, you know, what if, you know, what if they had basically said, okay, well, worldwide communism isn't going to happen. Germany's not stepping up to the plate. Their workers are, have decided to, to sell out and get, you know, a, a nice, um, a nice package for themselves and, and they're not going to overthrow their government. So maybe we should just, uh, you know, basically become soak Dems now and, and, and have mm-hmm. a market economy and, mm-hmm. and try to make it compassionate and then see what happens. And, and would that have, would that have been better for the world than, um, than trying to, you know, essentially create, you know, skip a step and, and, and all that. Right. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I think that whether people are, um, left-wing socialist revolutionaries or, you know, mildly progressive, uh, uh, whatever, or, or conservative, you know, I, I think, you know, Zen has uh, actually Zen master Sung San, uh, taught this explicitly in, in one of his letters. He said, if, if, uh, if Republicans practice Zen, then they will achieve correct Republicanism. If communists practice Zen, they will achieve correct communism. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I like that quote. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Yeah. Um, but, it's but, a very, it's a very, it's a very Zen Master Sung San quote. It's a very, yeah, it's very Zenny. It's, it's. I think it sounds good because it, it, it's making the right point. Um, that the that that well, at least in my opinion, um, trying to come up with the with the um, uh, a, a master program of of. I mean, I have tremendous respect for Thich Nhat Hanh, but I, I think the whole idea of engaged Buddhism is uh, not. It's completely without worth, but at the same time, in this, in the sense of of starting specific organizations and getting involved in specific movements and making that be part of your Buddhist practice, um, it, it, so on an individual level is what I do already. I mean, I mean, I, I to 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 whatever extent I feel comfortable and am capable, I engage in whatever kind of political or social activism um, that that you know looks meaningful or accessible to me. Um, but I don't then go out and tell others, this is what we Buddhists should do, or this is what we Zen people should do. Um, because, you know, I, I, I don't think there's uh, much uh, to be gained from that. Um, and, and one thing that, that is gained from that is first of all, you, you um, alienate people who perhaps aren't interested in politics at all. 
You know, mm-hmm. you can talk about people who are like conservative or, or, you know, MSNBC progressives or, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of times you start talking about politics or start talking about, you know, uh, organizations or movements or whatever. A lot of people just tune you out immediately. Yeah. Um, and, and you could say, oh, but they shouldn't. Well, yeah, right. They shouldn't, but they do. <laughs> and, and so you are, um, I think, I think when you do that, you're digging yourself deeper into, um, a hole that, uh, that, uh, uh, convert Buddhism in the West has already kind of dug itself into, um, a convert Buddhism as opposed to all of the Vietnamese and Chinese and, and, and Korean and, uh, Southeast Asian people in the United States, uh, uh, who were born and raised Buddhists uh, because mm-hmm. they're from a Buddhist culture and living in immigrant um, communi- communities in the United States. Many of them are extremely conservative. Mm-hmm. The Vietnamese Buddhists in the United States tend to be extraordinarily conservative. Um, ch- some there, There's uh, the Falun Gong uh, Chinese, which is um, some people would question whether or not Falun Gong is Buddhist or not. I think it is. I think it's Buddhist in the in the in the very proud tradition of of weird syncretic Chinese Buddhism, which mm-hmm. I really I mean I, I love weird syncretic Chinese Buddhism. I think it's great. Um, but and and I think a lot of things about Falun Gong are are very interesting. But they support Trump, you know. Right, and <laughs> and, and I think anti communism too really has influenced uh, Buddhists in America too, but just because of you know persecution of. Uh, oh, Tibetan yeah. Buddhism. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a tendency on, you know, inter- for internet left that kind of tanky uh, internet communism <laughs> to, sure. you know, to say, yeah. to basically follow, you know, the, the Chinese party line and say, you know, uh, nothing that, you know, uh, the, the Tibetan, Tibetan Buddhists were just landlords who chopped up mm-hmm. peasants' hands and, mm-hmm. you know, good riddance. And, uh, you know, um, yeah. wh- what's wrong with, uh, um, you know, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, you know, appointing their own Dalai Lama or their own uh, teachers. It's all, you know, the same anyway, you know, but I mean, in, 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 and that's just to say that uh, anti-communism comes out of, you know, persecution of Buddhists in, mm-hmm. you know, communist countries. That certainly has happened. Yes, right. um, in, and so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting that that's what goes together. And I think it's not just the immigrant uh, communities of, of, of Buddhists where that happens, but I think it, it's been sort of absorbed into mainstream Buddhism. So you see, you know, um, the farthest left that people, that the left tendency, if people do have left tendencies, it's not just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sort of bland progressivism. You know, if somebody labels themselves as something, they're going to generally be an anarchist. Um and I'm thinking of uh, one teacher, Ken McLeod, who's a Vajrayana teacher, and he uh, does and he call himself an anarchist? He says he's an anarchist because uh, <laughs> because he, because communism, uh, the whole idea of, of moving towards communism is that uh, it, it 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 requires the changing of human nature, and he doesn't believe that is that can happen, and so he he calls himself an anarchist. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, well, Ken McLeod, he's 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 great, but I'm I you know I think is this that's the Ken McLeod is the editor of of uh, Shambhala, or uh, see the translator. I get I get. I, he's a, he, I think he's tr- he's translated a lot, of, but I mean he's yeah, okay. um, he has a yeah, yeah he's he's uh, um, an important teacher. He's come out with a, a few books. Um, mm-hmm. He has a new one that's just come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably getting it mixed up with someone else, but you know, there's so that raises another uh, ideological issue um, that uh, that is, uh, in my opinion, problematic for Buddhists, and that is that um, you know Marxism uh, emphasizes 
the uh, uh, the uh, the un uh, unreconcilable conflict between uh, the workers and the bourgeoisie, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, workers must uh, uh, must um, develop a a class consciousness that is intrinsically opposed to um, one section of society. So on the one hand, there's this appeal to solidarity. On the other hand, there's this appeal to uh, see yourself in conflict with others. Um, And so the solidarity aspect of that is wonderful. I mean, and it's a a tremendous teaching um, that that socialists have always had for, for the working class that, you know, if you act by yourselves, you are screwed. If you join together, and if you find common interest with your fellow int- workers, then you can achieve anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the The problem is when you then go to the next step and says, "So therefore, line the bourgeoisie up and and shoot them, or you know whatever." I mean, that's a mm-hmm. that's a that's not an exaggeration in a historical sense. That's not an exaggeration at all. I mean, that's what actually often happens. But um, uh, so uh, Marx, but, I mean, Marx, yeah. you know, doesn't. I mean, Marx doesn't tend to get violent in his writings. I mean, like, but certainly Lenin took that, and yeah. and Mao took well, that, and 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 made that explicit. Mm-hmm. But, but even if you take the the violence aspect out of it, still the idea that you that the 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 consciousness that people need to raise is based upon both finding a commonality with your fellow workers, but also uh, based upon seeing that your interests are irreconcilably opposed to the interests of another section of society, um, which in a which from a Buddhist perspective fundamentally is wrong. Um, from an economic perspective, from a political perspective, there is a, uh, a you know, if you, if you want to get into uh, Buddhist philosophy, you know, there's, there's in, in relative terms, there's a certain amount of truth to it. In absolute mm-hmm. terms, it's absolutely wrong um, to see one group of society as having different, we all have the same interests, you know, and in, in, in we all, we all have the same Buddha nature. Um, uh, and I think that, uh, you know the the the, the um, uh, encouraging of, of class hostility um, is is problematic uh, from mm-hmm. a perspective mm-hmm. of, of and it's very deeply ingrained in um, in in the socialist movement and for the socialists who are the most you know committed and and probably have the well anyway I mean for the kind of socialists that I generally hang out with um, they're the most likely to um, be suspicious of anybody who questions that dichotomy mm-hmm. um, because the, the questioning of that dichotomy is often in, in the kind of terms that you were referring to earlier, or, you know, uh, the revolution is going to happen. So we should um, just work for reforms within the uh, ex- existing system um, without, you know, trying to overthrow it. Um, uh, you know, anyway, but <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I just just to be, you know, I mean, uh, uh-huh. devil's advocate, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, is, say say of the situation, you know, it's like you're 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 you know, an extreme situation. You you're a, you're a slave, right? You're you're somebody's property. Yes. And you run away. You're you're stealing mm-hmm. from from your master. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and you know, I mean, that's uh, that you're breaking a precept right there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and your so your your interests are are definitely in opposition, mm-hmm. and you're going to cause them suffering. You know, loss of productivity, loss of money, uh, 
all these things and um, you know, you're destroying their property. So it's, you're mm-hmm. sabotaging their property. Yeah. Uh, so, it, so it's kind of like in, in that sense, you can sort of see where there's, there's where there is an inherent conflict mm-hmm. um, and, you know, um, and where the, the need to, to perpetuate power will, you know, just kind of feeds on itself. You know, you, ha- is, is there a sense in which, um, you know, you're never going to change someone's mind if their job, if their, if their money depends on their, their mind never changing, you yeah. know, it's like the Upton Sinclair, mm-hmm. to paraphrase oh. Upton Sinclair, you can never convince a man of a, of something that is, uh, you know, he's paid to, to never understand. Right. Well, so, uh, you know, I think that j- even though in the, in the absolute sense, I think that a, a slave uh, should uh, understand, slaves should uh, understand uh, that, that ultimately, in the absolute sense, that their interests and the interests of the slaveholders are the same because they all have Buddha nature. I also think mm. that anyone who's a slaveholder should never sleep easily at night. Um, uh, because for fear of of uh, what their slaves are going to do, um, I mean, I, and and that's always been the case. Um, one of the uh, most important things that that many people don't know about American history is the um, is the uh, the fact that slaveholders, uh, American slaveholders, did sleep in fear at night. Uh, slave uprisings were a regular occurrence throughout the history of slavery um, mm-hmm. in the, in the Western Hemisphere, and I think that's a good thing, um, mm-hmm. up to and including slaves, you know, uh, uh, killing their their owners in the middle of the, of the night as they slept, which is what they were afraid of. Um, you know, I mean, I th- I think that's you know appropriate action for a slave. <laughs> um, mm. I, I don't think, uh, you know, and is, as a form of self-defense, essentially. Well, uh, and yeah, so I, I, I think that there, you know, one thing that I, I think uh, saddles uh, a Western Buddhism a bit is is uh, the idea that Buddhism is a Buddhist and Buddhism is supposed to be pacifistic, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the in the Korean tradition. Yeah. Um, when uh, when the Japanese uh, invaded Korea in 1592, um, the Korean Buddhists fought fiercely against uh, the Japanese invasion. It was a very brutal, very bloody, um, and an ultimately failed attempt to conquer Korea uh, by the Japanese. But the 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 Zen master Zen master Sosan Tesa, um, whom every uh, uh, Zen master in the Korean tradition down to this day traces their lineage back to Sosantesa. Uh, there's no evidence that he had any qualms about uh, uh, fighting uh, arms in hand against the Japanese invaders. In fact, he mm-hmm. organized uh, an army of, usually it's referred to as an army of Buddhist monks. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 and this, I and this know, was when? Oh, this was in 1592. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was going to ask you about mm-hmm. that. So that's, yeah. you know, all, basically, uh, you know, he, organized uh, armies of, of monks to yeah. to fight yeah yeah and 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 so and there's no evidence that he had any um you know uh hesitation about doing that mm-hmm. there's no evidence that he thought oh i don't know if i should do this or not that he had some sort of you know um there's no hand wringing no hand wringing <laughs> no no hand wringing quite the opposite um he just went straight um yeah, Zen Master Sung San uh, served in the army um, uh, during the Korean War, um, 
And again, I don't, I don't think there was much in the way of hand wringing. And if you, and if we look at the way the Korean War worked out, um, he and all the other Buddhist monks in Korea were absolutely right <laughs> to fight against the, um, the North Koreans. Um, uh, not, I mean, from a, from a Buddhist standpoint, they're absolutely right because Buddhism and Buddhists didn't fare very well uh, in the North. But it's not just that. I mean, nobody fared very well in the North. It's a, it's a terrible, I mean, it's exactly the kind of situation that uh, North Korea, things like North Korea and, and, and uh, Cambodia under Pol Pot, you know, are good examples of, of why sometimes uh, you don't want to make a revolution with people as they are now. Mm -hmm. uh, because I mean, it's 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 uh, pretty easy to see how people as they are now would end up doing the kind of things um, that have happened in North Korea and that happened in in, in Cambodia under Pol Pot. Um, more more emphasis on self cultivation would have been a good idea in both of those cases, um, you know. But but those are those are historical realities, and and to say what should have been done or could have been done in those situations. Um, to make things turn out differently is wildly speculative. You know, I, I'm only mentioning it because I think that Zen Master Sung San was, was absolutely right and perfectly justified um, uh, in, in participating in, in that war. And so Santesa was as well. Um, uh, one of the, one of the most important figures in the history of uh, the modernizing movement in Chinese Buddhism. Oops. What was that? Did you hear that, or was that just on my uh, end? No, on your end, I think. Okay, it's probably just some stupid Facebook notification. Um, anyway, oh, yeah, so one of the most important figures in the history of of, of the modernizing movement in, in modern Chinese Buddhism, in fact, is a guy named Tai Shu, um, T-A-I-X-U, um, who um, – why am I talking about him? Oh yeah, so he was he was a great uh, early in his life. He was a big fan of Kropotkin. You were talking about anarchists before. Yes, um, the the anarchists were big in East Asia uh, back in the uh, late mid eighteen hundreds, and mm. in fact, uh, uh, Kropotkin's writings were much more popular than Karl Marx's writings. And um, um, and and Tai Shu uh, uh, ran a, a, a Buddhist newspaper that was heavily leftist and they would um uh run translations of articles by peter kropotkin on anarchism including articles on political assassination um mm. so there's there's little or no evidence that that those uh, modernizing buddhist leftists were um i mean it wasn't that they were bloodthirsty um but uh you know if you're <laughs> yeah i mean uh it, they they were interested in social and political change in China and they were, uh, uh, they didn't have much faith, um, in anything like sit-ins, um, doing the trick. Um, anyway. In, uh, well, so two questions. Uh, One, um, do you, so do you think the early influence of anarchism had anything to do with the sort of Taoist background of East Asian uh, or especially, you know, Chinese Buddhism and Zen in particular. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to have you uh, just talk a little bit more about the relationship between, um, you know, precepts of not taking life and then, you know, mm -hmm. self, what could be considered uh, acts of self-defense uh, to prevent more suffering. And uh, what is, you know, what do you see the, 
the danger there, right, for for for, for Buddhists or the conundrum, um, even as a sincere practitioner, someone who's who's practicing, uh, because certainly. Uh, Buddhism is, by all intents and purposes, is seen as a, a pacifist religion in um, in the West. Uh, you know, uh, self immolation is is sort of like you know it, the the most revolutionary thing you can do, as opposed to um, actually you know fighting and protesting. It's like that's our model. Sort of, you know is, is um, Tik Kwang Duk who set himself on fire. It's like okay, that's and it's very inspiring. I mean, certainly inspired me, um, but. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so I got, I was just, just yesterday somehow. Oh yeah, that's right. It's because I'm reading the Lotus Sutra. That's right. So I'm re- reading mm-hmm. Lotus Sutra in a group of us, um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Rockville Zen group, we're actually yep. reading through the Lotus Sutra slowly and studying it. We're not, we're not quite very there. slowly. <laughs> yeah. We're not quite there yet, but we are um, getting to, uh, the chapter on self-immolation. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's all kinds of weird stuff in the Lotus Sutra. And just when you think it can't get any weirder, weirder, there's someone who pours, you know, fragrant oil all over himself and then sets himself on fire. Um, yeah, but having said that, I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, I'm not gonna say anything else about that. Um, <laughs> but the, the, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, there's there's little or no evidence of uh, uh, that throughout the history of Buddhism uh, prior to uh, Westerners adopting uh, Buddhism as a as a kind of a pet religion to some extent uh, in the 60s and the 70s. There's no evidence of of uh, the of what we think of as pacifism um, as being um, uh, ever you know considered to be uh, a major part of, of uh, Buddhist teaching or Buddhist practice um, they, you know people use the word pacifism in all kinds of different ways you know I, I recently uh, saw somebody referring to Pete Seeger as a pacifist um, you know um, Pete Seeger's great hero was Wood, was Woody Guthrie mm-hmm. and Woody Guthrie wrote a, a love song to a, a Soviet sniper um uh and 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 Woody Guthrie wrote on his guitar this machine kills fascists right. um right so you know this there there is a a bit of a uh i think um uh, a naive and overly simplistic view of of pacifism um, right you know i mean, I mean martin the, luther king owned, owned a shotgun for self-defense and yeah well, um, and just came out that a lot of the a lot of the critique of malcolm x by martin luther king was completely fabricated um it, it, like the transcripts actually you know the, the recordings came out or the transcripts mm-hmm. came out and um a lot of things he said uh mm-hmm. you know didn't happen so this there's there's a there's obviously a a, a reason for mm-hmm. um pacifism to be kind of promoted um, as a kind of uh, feel good ideology (laughs) Mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, certain strata of, I guess, you know, um, well, for, for people who will be okay either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> for yeah, people yeah. who don't that's, have that's the best as, way to put it. Yeah. Who, people who don't have as much skin in the fight. Right. Right. And that's, and a lot of people would push back on that, you know, but, but if you, the American pacifist movement, the real, the real hardcore, Honest to goodness, uh, a pacifist. They opposed U.S. entry into World War II. They didn't want to fight against the fucking Nazis. Okay, mm-hmm. 
and you got to draw the line somewhere. And I draw it well before getting to that point, um, personally. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when we, if you take precepts, you know, you, 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 uh, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you, you know, one of the precepts is to, you know, not right. take life. Yes. So, so what do you, so what do you think about that? Well, no, I mean, I think you shouldn't take life. I mean, and I think that if you do, I mean, if you're ever in a situation where you have to defend yourself, or if you're ever in a situation where your country is invaded, or if you're ever in a situation where the Third Reich has arisen and is taking over the world, you know, and you and you make a decision that, it, that you do have to engage in uh, warfare or, you know, resistance or, you know, I mean, and it isn't just a question of what should Americans have done during World War II. What about people who lived in, you know, in Europe, who lived under Nazi, Nazi occupation? Um, uh, I think that those who, who um, uh, you know, blew up railroad lines and, and assassinated uh, SS officers were to a great extent doing the right thing. Um, and if, if you actually look into the whole history of that, you'll find that they were often fighting very violently among themselves as well, because you had communists and you had, you know, uh, agents of the British Empire um, working uh, sometimes side by side in the resistance. And they were um, uh, 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 very much looking f- ahead to w- what would happen in Europe uh, after the Nazis were run out. The communists wanted Europe to be, you know, communist <laughs> and mm-hmm. the and the people who were working with the uh uh with the oss and the special operations agency or whatever soa or soe i think they were both in in uh in europe from the the british they did not want you know so they were fighting anyway so but i think whether they were communists or people working with the oss or the soa that the people who were you know engaging in uh, armed resistance against the nazis in europe I think not only did they have every right to do so, but that they were doing they, they were doing the right thing, um, you know. But and so people say, how do you uh, how do you uh, you know square that with um, the precept uh, to not kill? Well, and so one uh, one answer to that is that people have always recognized that throughout the history of Buddhism um, that that the uh, precept to not kill. Um, is is not a uh, uh, well that killing always entails karma. If you kill, no matter what your reasons are, there is karma involved. There is the karma of killing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but if you don't kill, you know your lack of action uh, also has karma. Right. So in a sense, it's kind of like you 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 are accepting the karma of you know. Uh, going to hell, so to speak, and then, you know, uh, doing your best there to help people. That's as right. Well. And if you sit by and refrain from resistance, and then other people resist and succeed in, in freeing your country from Nazi occupation, you know, what I mean, it's like um, in the most extreme kind of sense, mm-hmm. um, then you're benefiting from their actions. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, without helping them, <laughs> uh, you know, and other people find, you know, people find ways people, you know, uh, American, um, conscientious objectors and, and other conscious, conscientious objectors often found ways of, of helping or participating, you know, without directly participating in, in actual killing. Um, I think sometimes that kind of behavior, um, 
uh, it just amounts to squeamishness, really, rather than anything mm-hmm. that's really actually moral or ethical. Um, you just don't want to see the blood yourself or have the blood on your own hands. But um, it's like um, uh, people who, um, like, I'm not a vegetarian, um, but, uh, you know, uh, sometimes people in, in, interpret the precept to not kill uh meaning that uh, or actually not just the precept to not kill but also the um uh the uh, the right livelihood teaching of buddhism uh to mean that buddhists shouldn't be that it's incorrect for buddhists ever to be butchers mm-hmm. now you can go to the you can go to the muslim bu- butcher or whoever the the butcher is and, and get right. your famous famously the tibetans had yeah. uh, muslim yeah, uh, butchers. Yeah, um, and 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 also just as famously, Tibetans, Buddhists, as a general rule, up to and including you know the Dalai Lama and and and, and most uh, uh, monks and, and teachers of, of Tibetan Buddhism are not vegetarians. Um, right. The the Dalai Lama's uh, older brother, who actually knew a little bit and had the uh, uh, you know the opportunity to to meet and know and work with a little bit in, in the Tibetan uh, independence movement. Tibetan, the Dalai Lama's older brother did not, he was also not a pacifist and he didn't believe in this, uh, you know, uh, negotiating with the Chinese stuff. He wanted to, he, and he worked with the CIA as well <laughs> um, he, to, uh, uh, he worked with the CIA to um, organize armed resistance against, against the Chinese. And which didn't work <laughs> as, as, as we all know now in history, he ended up in uh, Bloomington, Indiana and started the uh, Tibetan Cultural Center in Bloomington and was very um, influential in um, uh, encouraging the not just the study of Tibetan culture, but the study of Tibetan languages um, at, at Indiana University. Anyway, but he also had a rest. He also started a restaurant in Bloomington, one of the first, maybe the first um, Tibetan restaurants in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and they didn't, it was not a vegetarian uh, menu. It was a traditional um, a Tibetan menu, and mm-hmm. so not only was not only was the the menu not vegetarian, but it, when you go into the restaurant, I've, I've been there a couple times. Um, there's a picture of Norbu Rinpoche, that's his name, mm-hmm. um, uh, standing next to and shaking hands with Steven Seagal. Um, right. <laughs> so I, I just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is 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 simultaneously horrifying, and and uh, simultaneously horrifying, very educational, and 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 three, important. You know, uh, people who have a very, you know, California Soto whatever. You know, I hate to beat up on on California Soto people. Some of my best friends are <laughs> Soto, California Soto people. Are Soto Zen. Buddhist. In fact, I helped. Uh, I actually helped to start a Soto Zen group that is affiliated with the San Francisco Zen Center uh, in uh, Washington D.C. Mm. I'm, I'm a founding member of that group. Mm. Um, that's another story. But mm. um, uh, and I, yeah, I, I love Dogen. I love the writings and teachings of mm-hmm. Dogen. Um, as far as I know, there's no evidence that Dogen was a pacifist. But um, people who are who 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 have. Uh, who have limited um, their uh, understanding and exposure to Zen to either, you know, like uh, what people in the San Francisco Zen Center or whatever, you know, uh, uh, think, or or 
possibly worse yet, what, what Buddhists who are in the Green Party um, think about uh, Buddhism. Um, uh, some of my best friends are in the Green Party. <laughs> some of my best friends are Republicans too. So, you know, I get around. But um, I think all my get, friends it, who used to be in the Green Party are now in DSA. Yeah. As they should probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, but my only point is that it, it, this, this, the sooner people come into, into uh, contact with the fact that that limited idea of uh, that uh, Buddhists are all um, vegetarian pacifists who used to be in the Green Party and are now in DSA, um, that that's not true. Um, you know that there's all kinds of Buddhists in the world, and always have been, and that's and and that's the way it should be. We are, you know, I mean, only unenlightened people need the Dharma, um, and other people's unenlightenment often we find much more offensive than our own unenlightenment, um, and so someone else's unenlightenment manifests as being a Republican. Okay, uh, but <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't mean that they're less enlightened than I am. Um, we're all pretty much on the same level, I think. Uh, and and those who those who actually are on a higher level, they don't mind me saying so because they've gotten beyond being offended at people not recognizing their um, higher level of attainment. Uh, so, but do you think? I mean, you know, so the the bodhisattva path to save all mm-hmm. sentient beings of suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, just to kind of go back a little bit more to the beginning of what we talked about in terms of, of, you know, not everybody should be an activist. Not everybody should be an activist. Right. And, and, um, but on the other hand though, you know, uh, Sung San always talked about together action, right. As, yes. as very important of yes. uh, the, the sack of potatoes that, you know, you, you, uh, you can either wash them all individually or you can put them into a big bucket and agitate it with a big paddle and then they all wash each other. And so we, we rubbing up against each other, we all become cleaner because we come up against ourselves really and, uh-huh. um, and, and against our own uh, attachments and hangups. And, uh, and we see the humanity in other people through understanding that we all have these hangups and, and these, you know, this, these, these karmically based opinions that, you know, we're just we're all made of certain material stuff and are born to certain parents at a certain time in a certain society and know certain things and have certain brain chemistries, et cetera. And so, you know, whatever we are, we don't have any control over um, to the extent that we come into our awareness of ourselves, dependent on all these things that, that, that made us up until that point. Um, but then, you know, working with other people is, is, is how this, you know, uh, changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, more than ever, we are, we are all sort of individual monads working on ourselves. Um, and, you know, at most, maybe we see each other 30 minutes, 30 minutes to an hour a day, right. Um, uh, on a, you know, in person or, you know, the way that we do it and on zoom, um, very few people live in Zen centers, you know, monasticism mm-hmm. is more or less dying in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what do you think together action would be now? Uh, mm-hmm. if, if it's, if it's not activism and we're not, seems like, you know, that the, the ways in which we would be together, um, and rubbing up against each other are, are, are dying out. What do you think, you know, where do you think this together action could come from or what would it look like? Um, you know, in your opinion, uh, yeah. And not, I guess, in Buddhism in general is very big, but say just just even just Zen. Yeah, 
Well, so I think going back to the time of the Buddha, I mean, lay people have always uh, been a um, a huge part of uh, of of the phenomenon uh, that we call Buddhism. Okay, and um, uh, there is often uh, too much emphasis placed upon uh, the, the monastic aspects of Buddhism. Uh, just, I mean, like, so a lot of a lot of your question was couched in is kind of couched in those terms of of like, you know, how what kind of because what what Zen Master Sung San was proposing was kind of a soft core monasticism. He didn't right, he didn't, right. He didn't is a hybrid. Right. He didn't want people or he didn't try to, I mean, he did want people to become monks and nuns and he did talk mm -hmm. people into that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, he did, he, he recognized that that was, <laughs> he would have, that he, there was only so many people he could talk into doing that. So he would, so you talked people into coming and living at these Zen centers and living in kind of a, a, a semi-monastic uh, existence. Um, and, uh, and that was a lot easier when the people that he was, you know, bringing into the fold were in their twenties and thirties and early forties. Um, it gets harder and harder. Yeah. Once are, you have kids, for example, once you, once you have kids, once you, you know, um, yeah. Anyway, for it, it, you can't get people who are in their forties and the fifties and sixties to just, uh, uh, do that as easily. And, and, um, and same thing goes for activism too, right? I mean, you know, you know, oh. you go to a DSA meeting and, and everybody's a child, basically. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've actually, I've actually never been to a physical DSA meeting. I've been okay. to some, I've been to some online classes. I actually, um, finally in, in my, in my old age, I finally read, uh, the first 15 chapters of Capital, uh, -huh. uh thanks to a, um, an online, uh, discussion group that the local DSA ran. Mm. And yes, and mm. they were all, they were all, I mean, I was, I, I, I was, thrilled uh and at the same time kind of surprised at how young these people were um that i was finally reading um das kapital with um but uh what am i saying what, what i'm saying is that this has always been a problem this is not some modern thing that we're trying to figure out now um buddhism has always included people who would you know maybe come together uh every now and then uh, to go to ceremonies or do practice or whatever, and then go home, um, which is what you're talking about. You know, then after, then after practice is over, after ceremony is over, uh, you leave the temple, you leave the meditation center and you go home. Right. Right. Um, and so that's always been the case. Uh, and the Buddha Dharma has always been uh, uh, for those people. They've always played a, a huge role. And, um, you know, when we read, uh, when we read, uh, uh, books about Buddhism, when we read uh, sutras, these were being translated by people. You know, they, a lot of times they were monks, not all, not always, um, but uh, they they were scholars, you know, and so they they lived a, the life of a scholar um, um, as much as that of a of a of a monk, which is a lot of time working on their own, sitting at a, sitting down and writing or, or and reading. Um, spending much of their time doing that, and 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 at the time that they weren't doing that, they were uh, uh, teaching classes or in classes. You know, um, they were students and scholars, uh, and that is not a lifestyle that seems so, you know, alien um, uh, to us. And that's always been a huge part 
uh, of Buddhism, um, lay people, uh, teachers, scholars, and and people who just and and even people who live in in monasteries. Um, it's surprising how how, uh, how uh, little difference there is between a monastic community and any other community. You know, monastic communities have their hierarchies. They have their mm-hmm. neighborhood, neighborhood associations. They have their rivalries. They have their and and in truth, they have their you know their friendships, their their love affairs. Their you know uh, all of human existence it, uh, turns out uh, expresses itself. And, and I mean, in many monasteries, you know, had their own police forces, uh, their own uh, uh, armed groups. Uh, the Tibetan monasteries were famous for this um, back in the day. You know, if one if one monastery has its own army, all the other monasteries had better have their own army too, or else they're in trouble. Right. Um, right. So, <laughs> um, speaking of pacifism, yeah, uh, that the pacifism has never ever been a part of Tibetan Buddhism, even nothing close to it. Um, uh, I didn't mean to bring that back up again. But I mean, because I mean, you know, you, but also, you know, Chinese Zen, I mean, there's, there were warring temples, right? They, you know, people were, you know, Oh yeah. People, people were, got, got physical over who had the transmission and yeah. who was authorized and who had the correct doctrine. Right. Oh, sure. Well, um, you know, when, uh, when, uh, uh, when Huinang, when, not, not, when, um, uh, the fifth ancestor, um, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? Jeez. Now I can't remember his name, but when he gave, uh, transmission to Huinang in the middle of the night, you know, he gave Huinang the, the robe and the bowl of Bodhidharma. And then he said, now run, uh, because the other monks will kill you when they find out. Um, <laughs> cause they didn't approve of him becoming, uh, uh, the sixth ancestor. They had their own ideas about who that should be. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, I think it's, 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 uh, this, this is another example of, of walking into a Tibetan restaurant and seeing that the uh, menu is not vegetarian, and there's a picture of Steven Seagal on the right. wall. Um, I guess that Buddhism yeah. isn't what we think it is. Right? Yeah, though I, I guess I guess it's like feature or a bug, right? Um, I guess oh, is the question, yeah. well, right? It, you know, it, the, the fact that Huineng had to run is mm-hmm. that is that is that feature or a bug, right? Is so, that because there was incorrect Zen being practiced, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is that? Just that's just human nature, or yeah. does that point to that there's a place for, right. uh, you know, uh, slaughter, slaughtering the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the, the, the pe- people who are promoting the uh, wrong the wrong idea yeah. in your opinion about uh, what what true Zen should be. So the the feature aspect of it is that in all likelihood that story isn't true, <laughs> right. um, and yeah. and this and the, and the second feature aspect of it feature not a bug is that that is the kind of story people like that is the kind of story that gets retold because it's mm-hmm. interesting because it gets people's right. attention if you say oh you know and then he gave uh so and so gave so and so you know the robe and bowl of bodhidharma and everybody lived happily ever after that's boring right <laughs> If you say Again, going back to the spectacular, you know, that's yeah. the stuff with it. That's right. that's the stuff we want. Well, we want drama. And 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 the Buddha called that, you know, skillful means 
Um, and he said it was necessary in the Lotus Sutra, going back to the Lotus Sutra. Um, fire is an important uh, theme in the Lotus Sutra, not just setting oneself on fire, but the, the burning house, which, you know, so the, 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 the image of samsara as a burning house doesn't originate with the Lotus Sutra. It originates in the earliest teachings of, of early Buddhism. But, you know, uh, the Buddha said not only is samsara a burning house, but, you know, uh, my children, which is us, you know, are too stupid to see that the house is on fire. And the only way to, to tempt them out is to offer them goodies. Um, like Zen. Zen is a goodie. Zen is, is something interesting. Zen is a shiny object, you know, to, um, to, uh, uh, get us to uh, leave the house. But Zen is not just a shiny object. It's not a lie because when uh, in the story in Lotus Sutra, when his children, the children of the uh, uh, the father whose children were inside of a burning house and wouldn't leave uh, just because they were told that the house was on fire, they had to be offered goodies. In order to leave. Mm -hmm. When they got out of the house, they were given those goodies. So Zen is not just a shiny object. It's not a... Um, it's not uh, deception. It's not deception. It's there. It is there. If you leave the burning house, um, you do get your chariot. <laughs> you, you do get your ox cart or whatever, you know, whatever is the thing that's been offered to you. Um, it is there. Zen is, Zen is a very real, live, and vibrant, vibrant, uh, vibrant tradition. Um, uh, but then, <laughs> just as Tibetan Buddhism is and Theravada and Pure Land and, um, you know, uh, these other wonderful traditions that are, uh, that do have, you know, do help us, uh, to take that first step outside of the burning house. Um, uh, but, you know, in, in other parts of the Lotus Sutra, um, and in many other teachings, it, it's, uh, you have to go beyond, you know, just getting your ox cart. If you stop there, then that's not much better than being in the burning house. And so if you are attached to your image of what you think Buddhism is or what Zen is, um, then you're stuck at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, and you might. Right, as lifestyle, which is, you know, that's mm -hmm. that there's a tendency, I think, now uh, for all things, all practices to become essentially lifestyle, right? Because we live in a kind of, you know, culture of the society of the spectacle on social media, that sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, your activism is, 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 uh, you know, becomes merch, right. It becomes like, you know, <laughs> t-shirt and, uh, you know, and, and, and you're in presentation and identity and, yeah. uh, you know, and so, um, Lit you know, literally Buddhism as an identity yeah. is, mm -hmm. is, is very, is a very strong mm -hmm. tendency, mm -hmm. uh, among Buddhists. Right. Um, well, uh, I think it, as I well, think it but is. I mean, but but I mean, at least there's this reflexive, mm -hmm. you know, idea that yeah, well, obviously, I mean, that's 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 wrong, but still, you know, I want to, you know, uh, I I I I I I want all the trappings to help me keep believing it, and I guess that's to a certain mm -hmm. extent it's skillful means, but mm -hmm. to a certain extent too, it just becomes, you know, um, uh, uh, and you know, an ornamentation, right, mm -hmm. of, of ego. Right. Well, and also I think it's important to, uh, you know, to kind of have as a as an asterisk next to that, that that, that kind of Buddhism is is, is often the, the people who are seen as engaging in that kind of Buddhism are actually often have a much deeper, you know, practice than that. That's what we see, you know, and, right. and, and right. those people right. like me, like you, are not fully enlightened Buddhas. Um, 
and there, therefore their manifestation of the Dharma is going to be partial. Um, their understanding of the Dharma is going to be partial. Um, but it, it, what's most important is my own, uh, you know, what's important to me to look at and to examine is my own practice, uh, not someone else's. Um, and so if other people want to be, you know, lifestyle Buddhists or what, or appear to me to be that, you know, I can't put much of my energy into that. And if other people want to um, be, you know, California Soto Buddhists, you know, <laughs> in a way that I don't approve of, you know, what difference does that make? Uh, and, and, and in reality, when I know the people that I do know who are like that, um, they're my friends, they're my Dharma brothers and sisters. Um, and, uh, and, and I love the fact that they are engaged in the Dharma, and I think they're doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they realize that I'm doing the best that I can as well. <laughs> I mean, do you think that Zen practitioners or Buddhist practitioners have an obligation to uh, more of an obligation to self-sacrifice? Because I think part of the um, sort of Buddhism as identity temptation is that, well, you know, I'm doing my practice and then I'm, I'm showing off. I do my practice and hopefully people will say, Oh yeah, that, that looks cool. I want to do that. And you're going to change the world by, making more Buddhists, right? Um, but do you think that actually making more Buddhists, like, I mean, there's, there's, you know, a hundred years ago, you could probably count the number of, uh, you Excuse know, me. non, um, non-Asian or non-immigrant mm-hmm. Buddhists, yeah. you know, on, you know, you probably put them into a pretty small spreadsheet, but, uh, yeah. uh now Buddhism has spread everywhere mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, does it, as as it stands, as it has it made the world any better? Do you think, mm-hmm. and or is there something something more that's necessary um, to get kind of get back to together action or mm-hmm. um, the sort of uh, the sort of comf- comfortable nature of uh, often of Western Buddhism? Yeah, well, so I think one thing that is somewhat related to what you just asked me um, is uh, for, I think Western Buddhists should be. Uh, we should work on our relationship with non-Western Buddhists and non-Western Buddhism. Um, And one way of doing that is by uh, becoming uh, more aware of, uh, of, of the things that non-Western Buddhists, Asian Buddhists have been doing for the last 200 years in terms of their encounter with the West, their encounter with um, imperialism, uh, their encounters with capitalism, their encounters with uh, 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 Western science, um, and, and what they've, what's been going on with that. Uh, uh, and also their encounters with the whole idea of modernization and what the um, uh, relationship between lay people and monastics should be, what the role of women should be. Asian Buddhists have been looking at this. Um, for a long time, people like Taishu and others. Um, uh, this is not something that that we are just now figuring out. This is not something mm-hmm. that uh, that Western Buddhists have to to teach or to give to. Um, and, and in fact, some, some people, and one of them is David Loy, uh, a name that you're probably familiar with. You know David Loy at all, Ben? Actually, not? Uh, yeah. not so much. I mean, okay. I've heard the name. Yeah, right. But uh, David Loy has even gone so far as to say that um, Western Buddhists have to bring the idea of 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 um, uh, uh, 
social justice to Buddhism because that's been missing from the, because that is missing from Asian society. He says, um, mm -hmm. which is totally wrong. I mean, uh, actually, uh, the history of China has been the history of one peasant uprising after another. Um, mm -hmm. People have uh, people in in um, Asian society have always recognized not only that that there is injustice in society, but that it can be changed. That the injustice is is comes from human beings and can be changed by human beings and and people have tried to change it they've had about as much success as we have in the west um in trying to change and making society more just um but i, I think there has to be a, a more of a of an active engagement with um uh with what some people refer to as actual buddhism um <laughs> Which, mm -hmm. is, which is the Buddhism that has been practiced for the last 2,500 years right. by, by the people who have been practicing it, by the people who made it possible for us Westerners to even have access to such a thing as Buddhism uh, in the first place. Um, we, need to, we need to learn a lot more about what they've been doing, what they've been thinking, and about the, the Buddhism. Uh, that they have practiced and the Buddhism that, that they, you know, made available to us rather than, you know, having a, uh, uh, um, our own often baseless ideas about what we think Buddhism is and should be. Um, and I think that would go a long way. I mean, so I, I think that one of the things we should do is to, um, uh, if, if you want an, in, if you want to have an engaged Buddhism, uh -huh. uh, then, but you better make sure that it's actually Buddhism that is getting engaged and not just your ideas um, mm. um, to learn more about the Dharma. Um, and mm -hmm. to learn more about, um, and, and then also, and, and I don't, I, I do not want to propose any sort of grand scheme for how this should be done, uh, but there needs to be uh, somehow uh, a better communication uh, in the West between uh, uh, convert Buddhists and uh, uh, immigrant Buddhists or, or, or um, ethnic Buddhists, you know, for lack of a better right. term. Um, People who are often, more often than not, not green, not former Green Party members who are now in the DSA, um, not vegetarian pacifists. Although actually, they're very likely to be uh, vegetarians. Vegetarianism is, is is actually a very big deal uh, in Chinese Buddhism. There's a wonderful uh, vegetarian restaurant uh, in uh, in Rockville near where I live that is run by. Uh, uh, wonderful Buddhists. You can tell they're Buddhists because they have all the all the Buddha statues in, in there. I mean, all Chinese Buddhists, all, all Chinese restaurants, uh, at least should be filled with gaudy uh, red banners and gold Buddha statues. Um, yeah. If they're not, then it's not a real Chinese restaurant, in my opinion. Right. But um, <laughs> but this one is just like, but but it's also a vegetarian restaurant. Um, and it's wonderful, and and that and so for even though. Even though I am not a vegetarian, uh, when I look at um, uh, the the way in which Chinese Buddhists and East Asian Buddhists generally have have looked at the issue of engaged Buddhism, one of the things that has been a a very strong theme uh, for uh, many hundreds of years, going back more than you know, uh, well before people like Tai Shu, um, uh, being vegetarian and 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 not just and going further than just being vegetarian, going to the market and buying up all the animals that are waiting to be slaughtered and releasing them. That's always that's been a big deal uh, mm -hmm. in Chinese Buddhism. I'm, I'm not anyway, but uh, uh, oh, but what I'm really saying, what I really wanted to focus on is just you know, I, 
I'm not proposing, you know, a series of dialogues or open letters or get-togethers or whatever, but just we need to be more open-minded and 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 have a more humble attitude towards our fellow Buddhists here in the West, who are from whether it's Cambodian or Thai or Chinese or Vietnamese or Korean or Japanese or whatever traditions, um, to uh, uh, yeah, to be more much 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 more appreciative of them. Um, and uh, much more open-minded towards the Buddhism that they're practicing. Um, I think there is a tendency to dismiss the Buddhism of of ethnic Buddhists uh, as not, you know, <laughs> you know, as as superstitious. It's kind of Buddh- or Buddhist in name only, you know, as yeah, a, as, a, fact- as a yeah, as a family tradition, but it's essentially, uh, you know, it's 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 a label with some cultural practices, but that's not the real dharma is not really happening. Yeah, and that's wrong. That if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for those people, um, there wouldn't have been uh, a Buddhist tradition, you know, that Westerners would have ever, you know, right. where all the money for the temples come from. Well, yeah, yeah, there's, 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 there's that. There's that. We we should. I don't want. To, yeah, but that's, that's no. True. But I mean, like the, the the temples are where we our revered Buddhist teachers came from, and so mm-hmm. you know. Right. And the, but but the material basis to to be a Marxist, the material basis for those teachings <laughs> is, you know, uh, you know, people basically just you know working and uh, going to you know temple, you know, mm-hmm. either regularly time to time and giving money, you know, right. give, being being told, well, you give money, you get ma- gain merit, and so it's like, well, I don't have any time. It's like they're paper members, right? Just like mm-hmm. us in TSA, right? It's like, well, I don't have the time to go and you know meditate all day, but I can I can mm-hmm. give some money and you know try to learn something. Mm-hmm. But it, it, at the same time, the door has always been open to those people, and many people have have gone through it to take their practice much more seriously. And and right. so, um, sure. I mean, it, it is it definitely is true in Zen, but it's not just in Zen. Many of those people who are, you know, good lay people who are good Buddhists who go to the temple, who volunteer or whatever, many of them are also very serious practitioners, a very serious mm-hmm. students of the Dharma, uh, even though they're also, you know doctors and lawyers and um you know uh, uber drivers or or whatever um uh just because they're not monks or priests uh, many of them are uh, just like us that's mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say <laughs> so do you think in that sense the together action for us going forward if mm-hmm. you know we're in a post-monastic buddhism if we can say that now um is the together action is really just what you do on a on a daily basis with your with your Buddhism, kind of like the uh, the uh, Upasaka Sutra, you know, the Upasaka Precept Sutra talks about basically works as the mm-hmm. way for lay people <laughs> to become enlightened, right? Oh. That like you know all this other stuff. Yes. Well, so uh, it, maybe it doesn't matter so much, but really um, doing good works is mm-hmm. is, is how you uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know learn to um, see the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. Or, or what you know? So, what this is also what uh, Sri Aurobindo called uh, karma yoga. Um, you know, just to you know f- further derail the conversation, bring in you know Sri Aurobindo and, and Hindu teachings. But you know, Sri Ar- Sri Aurobindo was a um, a revolutionary in India. You know, uh, mm. uh, uh, working against uh, British imperialism, working for the independence of India. Not a follower of, of pacifism by any means. He was involved in um, a cell of people who were carrying out um, 
terrorist actions against uh, the uh, uh, the colonial government, and uh, he was. Uh, uh, arrested and thrown in jail. He had a he had a religious conversion experience. I mean, he was already a Hindu, but he he um, uh, uh, came to the realization that um, uh, the, the Indian people had been spiritually colonized, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. and that and that became uh, his uh, his focus for the rest of his life. And but but. Uh, for as long as India remained. And so he talked about karma yoga. He talked about, you know, taking the, the teachings of, of Hinduism as he understood them and putting them into practice in people's lives as, as a, as a form of, you know, spiritual resistance uh, to the spiritual colonization of India uh, by, by the West. Although, I mean, and he was Western educated. He spent um, uh, between the ages of seven and 21, he lived in, in England um, he learned Greek and Latin, studied uh, Plato and uh, Virgil and the original, and and so he was he, he was kind of the worst case scenario for the for the West because he knew he knew us, <laughs> he knew the British imperialists for, literally from inside out, but um, he preached what he called karma yoga yoga in in action, um, uh, in in people's daily lives, and but the funny part of it is that the British imperialists, the, the colonial police, um, who uh, you know. Uh, watched him for the rest of his life. They were always certain that this was just a code word. Karma yoga was just code word for um, for uh, planning the next bombing, um, which in his case it was not. Um, uh, but you know, if you what even even if you are a monk, even if you are a Zen master, um, you still have to you know walk the walk in your daily life. You know, um, even if you're a hermit living in a cave. Um, you know, the Dharma has to be what, how you live it. Um, and so, uh, I doubt that many people who are, ever hear this podcast are hermits living in a cave, much less monks or nuns. Um, but we shouldn't think that there's anything new or special in that. That is just the way it is for everybody, that we have to find the Dharma in our day-to-day life, every day, uh, getting up, brushing our teeth, going to work. Retiring from work, which I've now done, you know, going to school, whatever, raising kids, um, doing acupuncture, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're doing, you know, that's your practice. And and that's nothing new. Uh, it's not some great realization that, that Western Buddhists have just figured out. It's what Buddhists have always been doing. Um, well, to the best of our abilities, you know, always been trying to do or aspiring to do. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, the only reason I keep on harping on this yeah. is, uh, you know, all, you know, partially because I'm, I'm a Marxist, partially because I've had this experience of being together and doing things mm-hmm. with other people, like living in Zen centers and uh-huh. also on, on, on retreat. And that, that feeling of uh, feeling like you're together with people, you belong, but also that, you know, together you can do something great. And this is mm-hmm. this melding that happens that, you know, you don't, we don't really get in our society anymore, except out of maybe right. like, you know, going to a sports, you know, <laughs> you know, or concert, concert, like going to a concert or going, going to, you know, some kind of, you know, doing, you know, going to a football yeah. game or something, you know, where you're, you, you become one with the crowd and feel this, this feeling of, of coming together with people, you know, this idea of solidarity, right. Then when people, you know, that, that, that there's a phase shift, right. That there's, there's a, a you know, that's, it's like uh uh, 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 emergent property that happens when we're working together. It's kind of like, you know, a oh, yeah. hundred people 
a hundred people each individually, uh, you know, holding a gun mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, uh, win a war is going to be different than uh, an army that's trained and working together, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a different, it's like one organism does a different thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, given the, the, the possibility that, you know, uh, attaining enlightenment, if there's no people left because of, you know, climate change and, um, you know, thermonuclear, uh, apocalypse or, 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 or what have you, I mean, you know, notwithstanding asteroids, et cetera, you know, stuff that's going to happen eventually that mm-hmm. could wipe us out. Um, but there's sort of, you know, man, man-made human-made, uh, sh- cutting short of, uh, the ability of, of, of future people to become enlightened, which is mm-hmm. you know, as Buddhists, we're like, that's, that's, that's the goal, right? We all want to escape the wheel of samsara. As many people need to get enlightened as possible. That's why we spread the Dharma. That's why, we, you know, um, I mean, you know, resisting uh, the urge towards extinction through, uh, you know, consuming everything and turning everything uh-huh. into value that goes into somebody's bank account that they never mm-hmm. even use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, all this stuff that comes out of, you know, the direction that capitalism is taking us, you know, I mean, is, is, do you think there's a place for solidarity or that we need to, as Buddhists create new structures that, that, that create this kind of Mm -hmm. phase shift or this, this emergent property that, you know, uh, all of us individually doing stuff in our own lives, which is of course, you know, that's, that's wonderful. And that's what you should do. Um, but if we're going to avert, you know, take ourselves away from the cliff, is there, is there something else that we should be doing as Buddhists say, um, some other structure that can help us to, um, do something more or, or is that just a fool's errand? And that's just, you know, that's just what you do with other people if you want to do it. Well, so I, I don't think it's a fool's errand, um, for, for anyone, um, to, you know, look into that. Um, but at the same time, I think if, uh, you know, if humanity is relying on the, the s- s- minuscule number of Buddhists in the West, uh, then we are t- we are genuinely doomed. Yes, we are doomed. Um, so we shouldn't. I, I'm, but, but so it won't it won't come from uh, Buddhists as Buddhists. It can come from uh, it'll come from from those who are trying. Um, yeah. It'll come from those who are trying to work it out, and at the same time, and probably those who have the most at stake, because you know, at the end of the day, yeah, that's it, when you sacrifice, yeah, when you have nothing left to lose, yeah. And um, you know, so I, 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 I just, I think we shouldn't get, um, uh, well, at, at the same time, you know, I think we should have, we should have a very uh, humble attitude, humble attitude towards the Dharma, and especially towards. Uh, the Dharma as it, you know, as it exists today among uh, uh, Asian Buddhists and as it has existed in the recent history and, and, and throughout the history of Buddhism uh, in Asia. So we, sh- we and we should look at t- to that. We should realize that, that, that they have been looking at this um, very question uh, uh, for quite some time and we can learn from them. Um, one thing we will learn from them is that they haven't figured it out either though. So, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but there's something to be learned uh, from that as well. I mean, the, all the people who were, um, excited about Kropotkin, um, uh, 
in in East Asia were in for a very um, rude awakening when World War One broke out and Kropotkin became a Russian nationalist. Um, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I mean, and and so and, and that was a route that it wasn't just uh, uh, the uh, the change. You know, it wasn't just Kropotkin's support for Russia in World War One. There was a rude awakening. The fact that the West, this place that they were looking to um, as a source of ideas of, of egalitarianism and democracy and and uh, um, uh, modernization and uh, uh, you know a, a better and freer society that that uh, these Westerners hadn't figured it out, you know, um, mm -hmm. they still had, uh, uh, the same sort of conflicts, the same sort of, uh, uh, bad motivations, um, that held down, uh, Asian society at the same time. Um, so, uh, so they had their own rude awakening, just like the people who walk into the Tibetan, uh, restaurant and see the picture of Steven Seagal on the wall or, you know, whatever, uh, when, when people are confronted with some, of the aspects of Buddhism that they that, that don't fit in with their idea of what they think the Dharma should be. Um, uh, there's rude awakenings to go around for everyone. Um, but, uh, you know, but to, so, yeah, I, I think I've gotten way off track here on this answer, but, um, but, uh, uh, but I mean, so, so, you know, I, you don't think there's a, there's a, a necessity to create some sort of post monastic uh, way of being together. Well, I think that, that would do what monasticism did because monasticism came together because, you know, uh, individuals practicing on their own um, was not seen as sufficient, right? At least to some Buddhists. So this, you know, you know, from the very beginning, there was, you know, groups of people being together and, and, and doing this and just, or is it just that we, you know, we need to become trad and become monastics again? <laughs> yeah. So I definitely don't think that we need to become monastics. Um, and however, for, you know, so for anyone who has that as a, as a very genuine uh, aspiration, uh, they deserve all the support in the world. Um, no one should try to talk them out of it. Well, unless, unless they, unless it's clear, they really don't have no idea what they're getting themselves into. But that's always the case anyway. But I mean, right, for yeah. the most part, people sure. who, who want to pursue that, there are Westerners who still pursue that. Um, you know, uh, uh, God's blessed them, you know, but right. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that we are in a post that Buddhism has to enter into a post monastic phase. But I am personally not in my own practice or in the kind of practice that I'm interested in, in doing together with other people, encouraging in others. I'm not interested in monasticism. Mm -hmm. um, I am very much interested in the kind of practice that people can do and then go home um, and then, and continue on their practice when they go home. Do you so, think we need to make Zen more churchy then kind of do like, you know, more like pure land, you know, uh, well, make it sort of like a place for regular people to come and do a do a do a Sunday sit and mm -hmm. have like a, you know tea afterwards and <laughs> you know have our own uh, you know um, church actions that we do and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I think that um, if you have a, a critical mass of people who can come together and do that, um, that's definitely a wonderful kind of of uh, together action. I do think that we should. Um, uh, 
what I, I do think that we should look at, at, at practices that are more ceremonial, more ritual, um, uh, that are potentially more inclusive, um, uh, to people that traditionally in, in, this is very much the case in Korean Buddhism, but, but in, in Buddhism generally, um, the practice of silent sitting meditation, um, it, yeah, is often seen as as more difficult, whereas this the practices of not just uh, of sutra recitation, uh, chanting, whatever, and and also engaging in ceremonies and rituals um, is easier. Uh, it's actually easier for for anybody. It's easier for me, um, and I think we shouldn't hold ourselves uh, uh, above that. Um, and I think that we should, uh, you know. In any time that there is a dichotomy between practices that are like uh, uh, low class and easy and and for the masses, and practices that are more, you know, more advanced, more difficult, and only for the select few, um, anybody who thinks that they're in that latter category probably is it, it, it has a problem. Um, mm. I think I think people should go for the easy practices. I think people should go for um, uh, the practices that anybody can do, which to, to a great extent does include, uh, meditation, you know, med meditation is, um, uh, well, yeah, I mean, anybody could do it, but I think it, it, it should be part of, I, I think there should be, uh, uh, and this is part of, uh, and this is actually a more concrete, um, form of what I was talking about before about having a more humble, uh, attitude towards traditional, uh, Buddhism, uh, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, is to, mm -hmm. it, and a lot of people already do this, but to include more um, ritual ceremony, uh, chanting, I'm big, for, I'm big on chanting, Zen Master Sung San was very, very, very big on chanting. Uh, and this was, this was kind of a, uh, this was a, a very great gift that Zen Master Sung San had for Westerners, to, to have a practice that while it included a, a very significant focus on um, sitting silent sitting meditation also valued other practices especially chanting and bowing uh, which are uh, often seen even in in Korean Buddhism as lower class um, easier practices for the masses that anybody could do you can come into the temple in the morning do some bows you know say some namu Amida bulls and then go to work and that's considered you know not nearly as 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 um advanced as you know doing silent sitting meditation um but zen master sung san put those kinds of practices on more of an equal footing um mm -hmm. which i think is a good idea and i think is a is a finger pointing in the you know not necessarily to the moon but in the right direction um that we mm -hmm. should be looking at more at, at 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 a practice that's more inclusive and and um easy although in in practice a lot of times when you, uh, uh, and I found this and many people find this, uh, uh, the practice of chanting is not necessarily more inclusive. A lot of people don't like chanting. A lot of people prefer silent sitting meditation. One Especially the, our chanting sometimes. Well, <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty weird sounding to, it, you know, well, it's not, no, but they aren't catchy ditties, you know, they're extremely catchy ditties. Um, but <laughs> so <laughs> one of the reasons why, uh, chanting can be a bit of an issue for people is precisely because it, it does have a stronger um, aspect of together action in it. Mm 
sitting meditation, everybody can be off in their own little world, Um, which is not what's supposed to happen in sitting meditation. But there's, you know, there's little to really check that. Um, Whereas in chanting, everybody has to be chanting the same thing. Everybody has to be listening to each other. Um, It's, it's a, it's a much more, um, yeah. So it, it, Part of the reason why people get turned off by it is because it seems much more religious, which it is. Um, another reason is because it sounds weird, uh, which it does. Um, and another reason is because uh, you have to pull yourself out of yourself and and act together mm-hmm. with others in a way that's mm-hmm. much more tangible and in your face mm-hmm. than if everybody mm-hmm. can just sit there quietly um, doing whatever it is that they're doing while they're sitting there quietly. Mm-hmm. And I guess this leads to my one last question that I, I, I had actually leads into it mm-hmm. uh, nicely, which is, um, you know, given the attention economy and, and, and phones and um, the, just the destruction of our uh, ability to concentrate, um, plus, you know, you add in, you know, psychotropic medications uh, and they can have all sorts of effects on, 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 you know, what our, what our brains do. Um, and I know for me personally, you know, being, being on a antidepressant, you know, the good thing about it is it, you know, it, you don't feel terrible all the time. Mm-hmm. Bad thing is it alters the way that my brain works so mm-hmm. that it actually can be harder for me to concentrate. And so, you know, I, it's, it, I wonder like the hole that we're going down, um, with, uh, you know, just the harvesting our, of our attention and the destruction of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, you know, the ability to even pursue or get enlightenment, uh, is 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 getting harder and harder that we just don't even have the the, the mental power at, at at a decreasing rate to, to to do it and so maybe something like chanting maybe together action giving up on the idea of enlightenment uh, as Buddhists might be might be you know what we need to do uh, you know that this I, I, idea of, of of you know sitting alone or sitting sitting you know for years and years and years until your mind breaks open. Um, that's you know essentially it's 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 a luxury product that almost no one will be able to afford. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, Zen Master Sung San, my teacher's teacher, your you know your mm-hmm. my teacher's teacher, your teacher's teacher, um, he attained enlightenment through chanting, um, and for the rest of his life, his his and so one of the reasons why, um, so. Uh, Every Zen or other Buddhist teacher who's come to the West has had to figure out what is the balance between what Westerners can handle and 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 what is the tradition that they have to pass on, you know. And um, uh, you know, in Zen Master Sung San's particular case, he, uh, I think, to his credit, he stayed true to his own personal experience which was the the which was that chanting in and of itself is a very powerful practice that in his case you know it's it, it did lead to his enlightenment um that there you know that, that uh there is and and that's not that's not the 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 um the generally accepted view in korean buddhism the generally accepted view in korean buddhism is that sitting is the is the highest practice chanting is a second rate practice um primarily for um uh, the benefit of of lay people and others who who can't mm-hmm. uh, engage in a lot of silent sitting meditation um so even even from his own traditions perspective zen master sung san well and not everybody in the korean 
Korean Buddhism, uh, if we go back to Sosan Tesa, uh, again, the guy who um, organized the guerrilla, uh, Buddhist guerrilla resistance movement against the Japanese invasion in 1592, uh, Sosan Tesa taught that there are three gates. Um, there's the Zen gate, there's the Sutra gate, and there's the chanting gate. Um, mm. And uh, and so th- there's always been there's been a great deal of tension before and after mm-hmm. that among people who push back and and say so some people say pick one of those gates as as the gate that they think is the best gate or or the gate that they think is the only gate so there there've always been proponents of you know the only way to really understand Buddhism is to just devote yourself to studying the sutras, studying the philosophy and the, the teachings of Buddhism. Uh, there have always been uh, people, this is not so much the case in Korea, but and it's very much the case in, in Japan. Um, but there there are people who say that the only way to, um, only hope that we have, that we human beings have, is to just um, chant. Um, especially, and this is especially true for uh, people who are devotees of chanting um, uh, to Amitabha or Namu Amida Bull. Um, and and then of course there's always there, there's always people who say like oh, Tina Turner, right, well, doing the Nembutsu. Yeah, yeah, Nembutsu, right. whatever you know. Um, uh, the practice. And anyway, but um, and then there there are people who say no, the 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 um, the uh, uh, the royal highway to, you know, enlightenment is Zen, in particular mm-hmm. silent sitting meditation. Um, but and and to this day, there's still a lot of tension uh, uh, among people who prefer one way or another, or who, and and even to the extent of people who say, okay, there's three gates, but you have to pick one. Uh, Zen Master Sung San didn't pick one. You know, he tried to have it both ways or all three ways. You know, he, I mean, he never was that strong on promoting the study of the sutras. Um, it, although I think uh, that was that was still part of his teaching. I mean, that was part of his training. It was part of his experience as part of his background as a Buddhist monk and priest. Um, uh, but it wasn't something he emphasized strongly with, with his um, non-Korean students. But anyway, the... Um, uh, uh, I, I think that we should have it all. We should have it all three ways as well <laughs> in the West. And that, that, and that's kind of a way forward for us. Um, it might be I a way mean, out of this whole mindfulness becoming an app kind of thing. It's like, well, you know, it's some, something that somebody does individually on their own, you know, and, uh, you know, in isolation is, mm-hmm. oh, you know, uh, you well, can't, you can't chant that way. Well, I, you know? so actually, I, mean, no, I guess you can, but, you, you, you can. And in, in Korea, um, it, there's a very popular. It's it, there's there are not that many uh, books in this, it, but it's kind of a genre of chanting books. Chanting books are very popular in Korean. People buy them. You can get them for like two fifty online. Uh, if you know Korean, um, and if you have like a you know a, a a checking account that you can buy stuff from Korea through online or some sort of online, I, I've looked into it a little bit. I'm not sure how to do it. I don't I don't know Korean, so I don't want to click on anything but you can buy chanting books and the korean titles of these chanting books are um uh, uh basically something like a daily uh buddhist practices that you can do even on your own so these are like for people to do mm-hmm. people who sit at home uh 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, th- these are people who almost certainly also go to temples or have some sort of a group that they that they belong to. But as their regular daily practice, they will chant the Thousand Hands and Eye Sutra, and mm-hmm. and do a bunch of uh, Kwanzaa Bosal chanting, um, and probably recite the Heart Sutra, and uh, and they don't have to they don't have to chant the Great Durrani separately because that's embedded within the um, uh, Thousand Hands and Eye Sutra. And uh, uh, anyway, so. Uh, mm. Just that—that that is a practice that you can do on your own, and it's a wonderful. I—I okay. I do it on my own, um, uh, and of course, in all likelihood, when you're doing a practice like that, you're sitting, you know, uh, uh, you're sitting in in meditation posture. At least, ideally, you should be. Um, so it's not like you're you're choosing between one or the other. Um, it's it's uh, it's a way of sitting, I guess. I don't know. I think I've, I think I've strained a little bit from uh, what you were asking about. Yeah, I mean, much. I so I mean, you don't think that there is uh, necessarily uh, a need for us to be getting together to chant? Oh no, I do. I mean, so yeah, I, I as as long as we're having it both ways or all three ways, let's have it every way. You know, I think yeah. you know whenever people can, uh, they should get together to sit and to chant. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, uh, that's that's a wonderful uh, practice. I I used to be, um, you know, I used to think that was the only way to do any kind of practice, um, other than completely on your own. Uh, virtual practice is is good, um, uh, and in many ways, it's not as good as practicing together in in physical space. But at the same time. Uh, for people who are not close together, it's it sometimes it's, it's it can be the only way that they can practice together. Um, I mean, and in 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 Asia, people have always availed of veiled themselves of whatever was there. Um, sometimes uh, we have a, a a a too too limited view of what of how people have practiced the Dharma historically in Asia. Um, there's always been a tremendous spiritual marketplace available to, to people in, in Asia. Um, even before the internet, <laughs> even before cars and, 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 and highways and things you, you would always have, uh, uh, lots of opportunities to avail yourself of different practices, different teachers, different teachings, um, uh, often under the same roof, you know, in, in Korea, Zen uh, has historically not been uh, a separate, institutionally separate thing. Uh, Zen has always been something that was taught uh, under the same roof as, as all other aspects of Buddhism. Um, and some people would be interested in Zen, some wouldn't. Some wouldn't. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, coming together is good and, and availing ourselves of different ways of practicing different places, uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, it's what people have always done, and it's what human beings naturally do. People like to check things out, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's good to find something that you find especially uh, uh, conducive to your to you, but you have to be careful with that because anything that is, that is too uh, uh, appealing to you is probably just reinforcing where you already are and isn't helping you to get somewhere else, um, which, uh, unless you're already enlightened, uh, you don't want to get stuck where you are. You don't, you don't just want to get a spiritual practice that validates all of your delusions, you know, <laughs> or do right. you, I mean, do you actually, you do. That's 
part of the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. We we love validation. Um, I mean, what 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 do we want from spiritual practice? We want, you know, validation and maybe back rubs. I don't know, but, um, uh, yeah. Well, so it, I, and I guess here's the opportunity for you to to plug anything you want to plug, whether resources or, or if somebody wants to find a group to practice with, mm-hmm. um, what should they do if they're you know you know I mean. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, if, or if, or, you know, if, if you want to plug anything or if you have any uh, kinds of uh, places where you think people should start. Well, I think, you know, my, my teacher's uh, center, Furnace Mountain, uh, uh, if you Google Furnace Mountain Zen, you will find either. Uh, so if you, if you, if you make sure to include the Zen in the, in the group, in the search, yeah. you will find uh, my teacher's center in, in Kentucky, Zen Master Degak Center. If you don't include Zen, then you will find a, um, a bluegrass band, uh, named, <laughs> named Furnace Mountain. Um, uh, well, if you don't include the Zen, you'll find both. And, right. um, uh, I, I'm not familiar with that bluegrass band other than, than I know that they have the name Furnace Mountain, um. But uh, they're probably both very good. But uh, I would especially um, encourage people to check out uh, the Furnace Mountain Zen Center in Kentucky, and which has affiliated groups uh, around the country, um, most of which also have virtual uh, offerings that, that people from anywhere that you have an internet connection can can participate in. Um, and uh, I myself, uh, through the um, through the Rockville uh, Zen Group, you know, offer. Um, uh, virtual practice opportunities on on Wednesday and Wednesday evenings and and Saturday mornings and uh, also I'm teaching classes online on Tuesday evenings and and you can find that information again through the Furnace Mountain website uh, furnacemountainzen.org uh, and also if you go to um, uh, my probably my YouTube channel is the best place to find stuff on what uh, I'm up to in terms of like the classes that I teach on Tuesday nights which is uh, youtube.com uh, slash at mind is Buddha or just, or go to mind which is a, a blog that I have. Um, that's not it's a, a blog that is just a, a brain dump of things that, uh, with a lot of Chinese stuff in it. Um, but it also has links to, um, the classes that I teach and, and my YouTube channel. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Zen master Kurt <laughs> for talking to me. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful to, uh, you know, uh, reconnect as, you know, many people have probably, you know, zoom, zoom practice kind of took off during, um, uh-huh. during COVID. And so, uh, it's been wonderful to reconnect with you after almost 30 years. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. I'm glad you're doing this podcast and, uh, I look forward to hearing all the other people that you'll interview. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we can continue talking about Marxism and Buddhism. Are you, uh, I have to find out if you're a Marxist or you're a Kautskyite. Um, <laughs> you know. uh, I'm, I, I would consider, <laughs> I'd consider myself a Marxist, uh, you know, in, in, in that vein, I tend to call myself a socialist because, you know, for Marx, communism, socialism are kind of the same, uh, yeah. think, you know, but you know, uh, I'm I, I'm down for I'm down for whatever uh, empowers people and uh, gets the most people out of abject poverty and misery. So whatever no, right. whatever technology yeah. we've got, uh-huh. I'm for it. Good. I mean, I've got nothing terrible against Kautskyites. I just like to know, you know, who that that's where they're coming from. Um, but uh, 
anyway. And Carl Kowski was <laughs> Carl Kowski was like one of the main people that Lenin was arguing against when he said, "No, we must have the revolution now with people as they are now." Um, so Kowski had uh, had something going for him. Anyway, I don't know why I'm why I'm dragging. Kowski. Well, we we can, we can, we can go over Bolsheviks and Mensheviks <laughs> and 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 uh, you know uh, uh, you know Orthodox Marxism versus uh, vulgar Marxism. We can. We'll we'll go into all of it. Maybe that'll be the next podcast. Nestor Makhno. We should talk about Nestor Makhno, the Ukrainian great Ukrainian anarchist. Um, yeah, next time. Next time. <laughs> great. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Kurt. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Liminots. All plugs and links mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes. Tune in next time.